Hello everyone and welcome to the May 2022 Mark Leverage podcast. Thank you so much for giving up some of your valuable time to listen in. It's great to have your company as always. I thought we'd start this month by considering a conversation that I had with my good friend Chris Payne about, it must have been two, two and a half years ago. And at the time I was about to release my Effect Pure Cards Across which is a very sort of straightforward and easy to do cards across version that you can use in a close-up show or in a small parlor show. And it just so happened that at the time, Chris was working on his own cards across and in his three thought of redback cards vanish from one pile and go into and integrate themselves into a blue backed pile on the other side of the room. So we were both on the same basic plot, but very, very different methodology and different ways of looking at the same problem, if you like. And as we discussed around the general subject of cards across, Chris said about mine, he said, I really like it. It's a a cool method, but um, don't you think that it's diminished by the fact that that the spectator doesn't deal out the two piles of 10 cards? Because in, in my version, the performer deals out onto a spectator's hand very openly and very clearly 10 cards, uh, puts them into a glass and counts out 10 more. So it is very open, but the spectator doesn't actually do the counting. And at the end, when the three cards have gone across, again, the, the performer can count them out into a spectator's hand and there are seven and 13. Now, in Chris's view, he felt that because the magician was doing the dealing of the cards, that the impact of the effect was reduced. And this opened up quite a discussion because I disagreed with him because I said, if it's going into a spectator's hand and it is clearly, he can see because he's so close exactly what you're doing. There are no moves, there's there's no palming or secret additions or anything like that. It's extremely clean. So the fact that I am dealing it as the performer and the spectator is not, I'm absolutely convinced that no layperson is ever going to say, well, of course, you'd never let me deal those cards. Therefore, I don't think much of that trick because the effect itself is so clean and is not cluttered in any way with extra objects like envelopes or anything like that. It is a very pure cards across. So we discussed this backwards and forwards and and it was an interesting thought because there are other tricks too that you could apply the same thought to. For instance, linking rings. There are some people who say that if you don't have apparently all the rings examined at some point during the routine, then the the linking and unlinking of the rings loses its impact. Does it? Well, it might do for magicians. If 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 a magician sees another magician apparently very convincingly handing out all the rings, he thinks, oh, hang on a minute, because he knows the normal method and he might be confused by that. But when you think about, I mean, the first linking ring routine that I ever really loved, because I don't like the trick particularly, but the one I always loved was Richard's, Richard Ross's, which was just so perfect. He didn't have, it was a three ring routine. He didn't have the rings examined, but he created the most beautiful visual links and unlinks. And to my way of thinking, that made it a really impressive front of curtain stage piece of magic, piece of stage magic. The fact that the rings hadn't been crashed around and handed out for examination didn't bother me at all. It's a different type of trick. And the way that the rings are handled was so clean 
that you almost didn't feel that you need to because you thought you saw everything that you could possibly want to see in any case. Another example, how about card to wallet? Well, uh, most of us would agree, I'm sure, that if you don't have the sign, a card signed before it goes into the wallet, then it's not much of a trick. Well, is that really true? Let's take an example. If you were to change the way the presentation of Card to Wallet works, if you were to take a deck of cards and hand it to a spectator, so just have a look at the cards, make sure they're all there, look fine, give them a shuffle. Now, while the cards are still in your hand, take any card out you like, any one at all. Don't show it to anybody, just look at it and remember it. Put it back, shuffle the pack. Give me the deck back. You say, Spectre, I'm going to make your card disappear. You snap your fingers, you hand the pack of cards back to him. You say, run through it. Deal the cards one at a time onto the table face up. He deals, he finds 51 cards. One card is missing. It's the one he's just looked at. You reach in your pocket, you bring out the wallet. You open it up, you unzip the zipper and out of the inner, inner pocket, you remove the very card that he, that he chose and which is now missing from the pack. Now, the fact that that card is not signed because of the way that the card was selected and the way the presentation has been framed, I think means that is perfectly strong magic and you don't need to have it signed under those conditions. So interesting, isn't it? There are, I mean, when you start to think about it, there are a lot of tricks that in one format, if you like, then they need, you need to go that extra mile to, to prove that something is done and not done in a particular way, if you like. But there are others that if you change the presentation or the, or the way that the, the trick is put together, that actually having things signed or examined or, or dealt with by a spectator may not be necessary. Interesting thought, I think. Now, I'm sure we'd all agree that there are very few silver lining aspects of COVID. But although most performers have been lamenting the lack of shows and only now are beginning to get back into their stride again after at least a couple of years off, COVID has produced some noteworthy and valuable side products, if you like, from the fact that a lot of magicians have been inactive. And one of those things I would suggest is Craig Petty's Magic TV. When the COVID struck and he suddenly found himself with a lot of spare time, he threw himself wholeheartedly in a way that probably only Craig could into producing an incredible amount of content on his YouTube channel. Magic TV is split up into all sorts of different uh, products, if you like, different aspects that he films a lot of the time with his son, sometimes just on his own. And everything from reviews to interviews uh, to demonstrations of tricks to instructional stuff. And when you look at his schedule, it's quite incredible because he releases... I know what it's like trying to release stuff to a schedule and uh, I don't know how he does it because he produces an unbelievable amount of content and releases stuff at least virtually once a day, sometimes twice in a day and has been maintaining that for some time. So there's a huge body of work on YouTube now that you can enjoy. Now, the reason I mention it is because one of the things he has is called Talk Magic, and this is where he does Zoom interviews. And this, of course, was brought about by COVID. Suddenly everybody had time to talk to Craig and were delighted to do so. And so far he's done about getting on for 180 different interviews. And around about when he'd done about 172, he was thrashing around trying to find, well, who the heck haven't I had? And then he thought of me, which was very nice. And so 
we got together on Zoom and did an interview, which was which great fun to do. I really enjoyed it. Craig and I have known each other for a long time because when he was very young, when he was a teenager, he used to come and buy stuff from me on my stand at places like Blackpool and the IBM convention. And uh, because he was into close-up, he very much enjoyed my magic and some of the tricks that he bought and he's used ever since, which is which is really nice. So it was great to be able to, to talk to him because I haven't seen him in person for, for quite a while now. And he's, a, he's a quite a nice interviewer because all... Although, obviously, he has to do a certain amount of research, he did because he knew quite a bit about me already. It meant that we had a very, I think, a very informative chat. And he was able to get me to admit to all sorts of things that you kind of forget you're being interviewed sometimes. And uh, it was it was really good fun, good fun to do. So if you if you haven't um, seen it yet, it's about an hour and a half, hour and 28 minutes, I think it runs to. And if you're interested, then go to... Uh, Magic TV, Craig's Magic TV, which is on YouTube. Do a search, you'll soon find it if you haven't found it before. And while you're there, have a look at all the other people that he's interviewed uh, and all the other content that he's got on there because it really is quite phenomenal. And no matter what you're interested in magic, but particularly if you're into close-up and mentalism, then I think you'll, you'll find there's plenty there to interest you. And of course, Craig is never dull. He has opinions on most, most things. And so it's, if nothing else, extremely entertaining. Now, while I'm mentioning magic on Zoom, may I draw your attention to an event of mine, which I'm holding on Zoom on Wednesday, May the 18th at 7.30 p.m. English time. It's the Inner Circle Zoom card session. And I've put together an evening of what I think are varied and practical card routines and moves, which I want to share with you, basically. I've done these Inner Circles Zoom sessions before. I've never done one just on cards before, although I have incorporated card magic in previous ones. But in this particular case, I thought there's so much interest in card magic. And I've got so many different card effects that I can show and can talk about that it would make sense, perhaps, to put on an event just dedicated to cards. Now, I know we're all back to live events and all the rest of it, but there is still something quite nice about being able to relax in your own home and get a front seat and join in with several other people and just have a nice, nice, easy evening of entertainment and instruction. In fact, actually, I mentioned Pure Cards Across, and that's one of the effects that I intend to put into the lecture. And uh, I'll go through the whole method for you, and you'll be able to then assess whether Chris Payne is right or whether I'm right about uh, whether it matters that the spectator is not dealing the cards. The magic I've chosen is, is some of it is more recent, some of it is older. It's a good mixture of everything from there's a packet trick in there, there's, there's stand-up stuff, there's walkabout magic, there's close-up show type presentations. So there's a, there's a lot of variety and I hope that you'll really enjoy it. The price is £20, although if you're a member of eClub Pro, then you get it at half price at £10, as you do in fact with all products bought from me if you're a member. And hopefully you'll have had the time and the inclination to join me. If you've been to any of my Zoom events before, hopefully you'll know that they're good fun and that you'll come away with plenty of magic that you can use. So that's Wednesday the 18th of May, so it's quite soon. So get along to my website and get your registration in now. Now as the year progresses and the weather improves, 
there is the prospect for many of us performing magicians that will end up working outside in the summer months. And one of the things that I've have always felt is that as a magician, when you're working out in bright sunlight, the temptation and the desire to actually put a pair of sunglasses on so that you can see what you're doing is almost overwhelming. But I'm not sure it's quite the right look, is it? I, I know that when uh, I'm performing outside and the audience, some of the spectators are wearing sunglasses, I find it very off-putting, especially if the sunglasses themselves are quite dark, because you can't see the eyes of the person wearing them. And as a result, you don't actually know where they're looking. And it makes you realise that sometimes you rely on misdirection, let's say, to do a move. But that part of that misdirection and the reason you have the confidence to go ahead is because you can see where their eyes are looking. And so you know whether they're looking in the right or wrong place. When they're wearing sunglasses, you don't have that tell. You can't see, perhaps, where their eyes are looking. And they could, their head could be turned slightly one way, but their eyes are looking in another and they could catch you out doing something. So there is this sort of physical disconnect. It's a bit like if, if you were doing magic in COVID and you had to put a mask on or one of those visor things on, that it, it, again, it creates a sort of a barrier and it, it doesn't feel right. You feel shut in and you feel like you're not projecting properly. And I think I feel the same is true of sunglasses. But on the other hand, if you're working outside and it's really, really bright and the sun's in your eyes. Not only can, might it give you a headache and eye strain, but it's just very uncomfortable. You might be screwing up your eyes trying to, to see in such bright light. So what's the better thing? Is it better to wear sunglasses, perhaps with lighter tinted lenses so that people can see your eyes a little bit? Or you could do what I do in preference to that is I wear a baseball hat. Now, it's not just any baseball hat. It has my magic logo on it, the one that is also on uh, my sort of proprietary T-shirts that I wear in the summer. And the peak of that hat is just big enough to shield my eyes a bit from the sun, the glare of the sun, but not obviously cover my eyes. And I've used that in informal situations outside. And I found it to be very, very effective. So if you get to perform in very bright conditions and you don't really want to wear sunglasses, maybe that's something that you could investigate and get yourself some baseball hats made in the right colour with your logo on it. And then you too can sort of get around the problem of bright sunlight when performing outside. I thought you might enjoy a little story that I intend to tell you now about something that happened to me in the early days of of my magic career, just after I turned pro. I was in my mid-twenties, relatively inexperienced, doing a lot of children's shows at the time, mainly children's, in fact, at that stage. And one day the phone rang and there was a woman on the other end looking to book somebody for her daughter's sixth birthday party. And we discussed what I could do for her and she seemed very pleased with that. And then she said, oh, there's just one thing though, you will produce a rabbit, won't you? Now, I didn't have any livestock of any sort, never done anything with a rabbit before. And I said, well, I don't normally. She said, oh, oh, what a shame. Oh, well, I, I may have to look elsewhere then because my daughter loves rabbits and she was absolutely determined that the magician should produce a rabbit. So wanting to please the customer and desperate for the money, no doubt, at the time, 
I said, well, listen, don't worry. I'm sure I can sort something out for you. And uh, I, I promise you that I will produce a rabbit so that it'll be special for her. And on the strength of that, she then placed a booking. So this then left me with the problem, well, I don't have a rabbit. I don't have anything to produce a rabbit out of. And I've never done anything like that before. I was right out of my comfort zone. So I asked around some of the other local children's entertainers in the area where I was living at the time. And one of them kindly said, listen, I've got a production box and a rabbit and you can borrow them if you like. I said, oh, that's fantastic. Thank you. It really saved my bacon. He said, OK. So he said, let me show you how the box works. He brought the box along to a Magic Club meeting and showed me how it all operated. And it was very simple, of course. But obviously I had to make sure that I knew he had to make sure that I knew how to use it. But he didn't bring the rabbit. He just brought the box. And then he said, OK, uh, take the take the box away. I don't need it before you need to use it. And I'll bring the rabbit round in his carry box uh, on the morning of the day of the show, which he duly did that Saturday. He brought the rabbit round inside there. He said, there you go, there's, there's the rabbit. Good luck, and off he went. So I turn up at this venue and I set up my, my children's show and the kids were in having tea at the time and I was due to do half an hour, 45 minutes, whatever it was, after they finished eating. So I was on my own in the, in the lounge. They were in a, some a sitting room or kitchen or something eating. And so I was on my own setting this up. So I get the production box out and I opened it up and I got the carrier with the rabbit in it. And it was at this point that I realised that I was actually dealing with a, a, a live animal here. This is not an animal either who knows me. It's not, I'm not knowing, don't know how to handle a rabbit and this rabbit knows it. And I opened up the, 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 the sort of the door to his little hutch thing, reached in to get him and he frightened the life out of him because he didn't know who I was. And he jumped out and ran off under a table. So I spent the next three or four minutes chasing this rabbit around the room, him hopping away and me getting close. Eventually, I thought, I've got to catch this rabbit. I've got to get him in this production box. Otherwise, I'm, I'm in, what am I going to do if the kids all come in and see me chasing the rabbit around? Anyway, eventually I caught him and the poor thing was wriggling away, probably absolutely terrified. I stuffed him into this into this um, production box and set it all up. But of course, now the rabbit, although he's been in the production box before, he's not been with me in the production box before. And he's very nervous. And because he's nervous, he starts moving around. So this box during the show, which I have shown empty, is virtually moving all on its own, which is a trick in its own right, I feel. Nobody appreciated it at the time. Anyway, I was really nervous about this, so I decided that instead of doing it at the end as I'd planned, I thought I'm going to have to produce this rabbit sooner rather than later, otherwise he's going to break out of there like some amazing jailbreak sequence, which might be quite entertaining, but not quite what I had planned. So I did. I did it about a second or third trick in the middle of my show and produced this rabbit. And of course, as you, as you will know, if you ever use rabbits, ah, oh, says the kids, well, that destroyed the rest of the act because everybody just wanted to pet the rabbit. And it took me about seven or eight minutes to eventually get this rabbit back in his carry box so I could finish the show. And what it made me realize is that the customer is not always right. And just because they've asked you to do something, if you're really not up to the job, perhaps you really shouldn't do it. I learned an experience that I've never used livestock ever since, 
maybe I should try. I don't know. Is it PC still to use rabbits and doves and things in the general pub for the general public? Don't know what it is, is it? Anyway, it was at the time and it was an experience I've never forgotten. And actually looking back on it now, it was it's quite funny to think of me chasing this rabbit around this somebody's living room for a few minutes trying to get it to get into the production box. But quite frankly, I, something I really shouldn't have done. I should have stuck to my gun and said, well, actually, I don't do that. But what I do do is this, this and this, which will be wonderful for her and, and sold it on that basis. Hey ho, you live and learn. Now, I mentioned earlier in this podcast about the Craig Petty interview that I did. And part of that interview, at one point, Craig is talking about my card effect, blank deck trick called Brainstormer. And I happened to say to him, oh, it's funny you should mention Brainstorm, I said, because I've had three orders for it today alone, which given that it's not a, a current trick or not, nothing I've been promoting or advertising at all, I couldn't understand. I said to him at the time, I couldn't understand why suddenly from three different countries, as it turned out, I'd received these orders. I said to him, well, I can only assume somebody somewhere has, has mentioned it or done it or something like that. And then Craig said, well, I, actually, I did it. I did it two or three weeks ago, he said, uh, on one of my shows, because uh, I love the trick. He said, I still use it in my, show, my own act from time to time. So, uh, and I did it because I like it. So maybe it was that. But I, I thought, well, the timing, there's too big a gap. So it probably wasn't that. Anyway, over the next few days, I got lots and lots of orders coming in for Brainstormer from all over the place. And I, I just couldn't understand it. So in the end... I wrote to one of the customers who'd ordered it and I said, I hope you don't mind me asking, but can I ask you where you found out about Brainstormer? Because I haven't advertised it recently. And it turns out that um, he'd seen it on the Totally Magic YouTube channel where it had been performed. And the performer had said, oh, I really like this trick. He hadn't explained it. He just performed it. And I think on the basis of that, and he has a, a lot of people who subscribe to that, that particular channel, and a lot of people have seen it and liked it. And as a result, and he put down the details of where they could get it, which was very kind of him. I didn't ask him to do it, but I was obviously delighted that he had. But what it made me realise was that the strength of a third party person recommending something where they have no axe to grind. If I, I can tell people until I'm blue in the face that Brainstorm is a great blank deck trick and that you should have it. But I would say that I devised it. So why wouldn't I say I'm not going to say it's rubbish, am I? I happen to think it is good, but I mean, that's not the point. But when somebody else completely unbidden performs it and explains why they like it and, and enthuses about it, immediately other people think, oh, that, that's great. I'll go and see if Mark's still got it. And the next thing I know, I get loads. Of, and over the following sort of two weeks from, from, that, from that particular day, I got a constant stream of orders for Brainstormer. Absolutely amazing, really. After all, because it came out in, well, gosh, must be back in the 1980s. So it's hardly a current trick, although the method that I currently supply is different from the one I originally sold. It's, I think, a more streamlined and better version. However, that's by the by. And what it does show is that, and it's the same with our shows, isn't it? If a layperson sends you a, a lovely comment about your show, how how interesting exciting it was happy that their audience loved it and you use that in your publicity the fact that somebody else has said that about you carries more weight than you telling people well i do a really good show it's the same with 
with magic products that are sold on online or anywhere else for that matter. When somebody brings out a new product, they try to get people to say, well, it's the greatest thing since light spread, because they know that if people that other people trust and know of say and respect, say that something is good, then it probably means it, it is good. I think in the case of products, eh, you've got to be slightly careful with that because sometimes friends do do favours for people when it comes to talking about products that their friend is releasing. But nevertheless, the general principle is that if others say it's great, then there's a good chance that it will be. So I think for all of us, if we're trying to promote ourselves as magicians and our, and our shows generally, then using good use of testimonials in your publicity, in your in the letters that you send confirming a show, in, in, in anything to do with your contact with a potential or with an actual booker, all this helps to build your credibility when other people say that you do a great show. And it makes the booker feel good that they booked you or encourages them, if they haven't already done so, to actually go ahead and take the plunge with you. One of the monthly updated sections of eClub Pro is called the Advice Centre. And this is where I take questions. I, I receive a constant stream of questions of all different types. It's amazing the variety of questions that I get sent by members. And the idea is that they can ask any question. That, in fact, they can ask up to three a month if they want. And I take two of those questions and I write roughly 200 word answers to give my advice or opinion on the things that are bothering them or that they wish to know. And there was one question that came in that I thought was quite interesting. It's not a recent one. It came in um, a while back now, but it presents, I think, an interesting situation where somebody had gone and done a kid's show and afterwards he had elicited a response. I was talking a few minutes ago, wasn't I, about testimonials. So he'd written to them, if they've got any comments you'd like to make about the show, be pleased to receive them. And the lady had written back and she said she'd thoroughly enjoyed the show and the children had thought it was great. The only thing was that she was disappointed given that she'd booked an hour that he only did 45 minutes. Now he was really surprised at this because he knew he had definitely done an hour. But the perception that she'd had was that he'd only done 45 minutes and that since he booked by length of time, as most of us do, I suppose, well, if you want an hour, it'll cost this. If you want an hour and a half, it'll cost this much more. So the amount of time was critical in terms of the amount of money being paid for it. So this woman had obviously felt that she was a little bit disgruntled because she felt that she'd been shortchanged on time. And the reason he worked out, apparently, that this had happened was because... He was supposed to start at, I can't remember the time now, let's say it was three o'clock and he got there early and the kids had all were all there. So about a quarter of an hour or so, quarter to three, he said to her, oh, I'm, I'll start, shall I? She said, yes, please. But she hadn't looked at the clock. So then when he finished at a quarter to four and she'd booked him to start at three, she thought he'd only done 45 minutes. And so she thought she'd been shortchanged. So what do you do about a situation like this? Well, I suppose the, uh, the reply that I gave at the time was, well, one way to, to sort this out is when he went to her and said, look, all the children are here, shall I start? He could have said to her, actually, I know it's only a quarter to three and we're not supposed to start to three. Would you like me to start my hour now? Now he's drawn her attention to the fact that it's quarter to three and not three o'clock. So when he finishes at quarter to four, 
it'll be fine because she will remember, no doubt, that he said, shall I start now? It's only a quarter to three. So that one way of making sure that she understands the time. You could do something with the kids as well. You could say, what time is it? It's magic time. And what time is that? It's quarter to three, you know, or make something along those lines just to make sure that it's clear what the actual time is. But it reminds me of another situation that occurred to me where I was booked to go and do at a hotel many years ago. I was due to do an hour's a sort of a stand up show and I was due to start at seven and I arrived at a quarter to seven to find the owner extremely annoyed with me. And he said, where have you been? And I said, what do you mean? Where have I been? He said, you were supposed to start at six. I said, no, no, we agreed seven o'clock. No, we didn't. I said six o'clock. Now, I had a, at the time, this is day, the days before email, so I couldn't just quickly look it up. I had a, a physical letter of confirmation, which I had sent to him. And I had a copy of it, but I had it at home. I didn't have it with me, so I couldn't wave it in front of him. And he was absolutely incandescent with me. I'm not paying you your full fee. You can get on and do it now, but I'm not paying you all your money. And we had a bit of a stand-up row about it. And there was hardly any sort of situation. These, he said, these people have been sitting here for three quarters of an hour waiting for you while you're not arriving and all the rest of it. And of course, I wasn't supposed to be there. So then it was a very uncomfortable show. So I went and the people, half the people had left. The other people there were fed up. So it was, it was a really terrible show. I felt really shaken by the whole situation. And, and I vowed always to take my confirmation letters with me in the future. But what it shows you is, again time, that time is critical, especially, as I say, when we charge by time and details about when things start and finish are really, really can be really, really important. So it really does pay to make sure that you have all of the details precise and that the booker knows exactly what those details should be. Well, there we are. There's another podcast done and dusted. Thank you so much for listening. If you've reached the end, well done. Go and have a lie down on a darkened room. And in the meantime, have a good month and I'll see you here for some more next month. Bye for now.